Welcome to the Extending Eden podcast, where we explore stories of life in the kingdom of God. My name is Daniel Chang, and today's episode is called Leaning. Enjoy. Well, you know, Dean, when I think about the idea of living among my neighbors, just so many thoughts have come to my mind this week because I've been thinking about the subject. Um, One of the things that happened this week was I was realizing that a language that I have had, I have used myself and have heard others use is the language of living among the lost. And uh, I was thinking about this and day before yesterday, I was out for a walk. And as I was wandering along the path, I imagined I just had a conversation with a friend who is a neighbor and in the most intimate sort of way, he is a very close person in our family. And he is clearly my neighbor. And we had had a conversation about a journey with Christ. And at one point in the conversation, uh, because it was appropriate and because of some things he had said, I was able to ask a question about where he was in his journey with Christ. Actually, I think the question I asked is, where are you with Jesus? And his response was, I'm on a journey. So as I was out walking later, I was thinking about it. And I said, you know, it's kind of like I went on a hike this summer with some friends. And uh, and it was a pretty steep hike. And there was a waterfall at the top. And Julia and I, in our in our ancient ages, we, we set a good pace that, that we knew we could probably maintain to the top. And probably halfway, a little over halfway, we were going up to the top. And uh, the people who were hiking with us, uh, other other people on the trail who were hiking with us, you know, they not personally, but they were just hiking, and they they were coming down the trail, and we were wondering how far it was to the top <laughs> because it was it was steep. And so I said to someone, I said, uh, how, "How far is it to the top?" And they said, "I don't know. We stopped about a hundred yards up the hill because it got so steep, we just couldn't go any further." And I said, so you don't know where the where the top is? And he says, no, we don't. And I thought, oh, that's what that's what I think I that's what I think people go through. Mm. You know, they start a journey, and it gets hard, and so they stop and come back, or they start a journey on a known path, a path that's been described as a known path, but they don't see the top, and so they stop because they're not sure it's there. Hmm. And uh, and I thought, well, that that's a lot like what it's like to live in this world hmm. with with my friends, my neighbors, uh, those people who are intimate to my life uh, that I have enough relationship with that I can hear and experience their story. I realized, yeah, they. It's not like I, I understand the theological implications of being lost, but the human issue is. Lost doesn't seem like the right word. Mm. It, it seems like I have um, whatever, whatever the the nature of the journey I'm on is. It's it's very possible to find yourself where you can't go further for all kinds of reasons. And and I'll, I'll just make one more comment about it, and maybe you could respond with me a little bit on it. But I was thinking that uh, <clears throat> that it's when we say we doubt, for example. Uh, that that can sound like a really negative idea. 
But as I as I reflect on the idea of doubt, I can't imagine that God wouldn't be just delighted that we doubt. Because it's that with some honesty, our doubt it draws us to ask the kinds of questions that God can reveal to us. He can He can reveal Himself to us when we when we are willing to examine our doubts. It's when we're not willing to examine our doubts that's the problem. Because <laughs> I. What, what what answers do I need? <laughs> I don't have any problems. I'm I'm okay. And so I thought, as a as a follower of Jesus, I know this sounds a little radical, but I don't mean you just have to take it in the context. I'm explaining it that the the greater our doubts, the greater the likelihood is we will walk deeply with God for our lifetime. Because we're walking with Him, we'll examine those doubts and we'll let Him in and get into our space. And I thought, well, guess what? That's what we do with our neighbors. We're that. We're that piece of their story. Mm. And their doubts, uh, It's if we live well, they're likely to be able to explore those doubts and think, well, you know what? Maybe if you walked with me those next hundred yards, we'd get over it. You know, maybe, mm. maybe we'd get up that hump. We'd get over those rocks and we'd, oh, and the path would smooth out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we could keep going. So I was thinking about that as a context or thinking about how do I, just in the simplest way, how do I live um, with my neighbors? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I mean, you started off by mentioning the phrase among the mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. And it seems like one of the things you're picking apart is what does the word lost mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, of course, I mean, as you said, there's a difference between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And I mean, it matters which side you're on. Um, but I, I, again, this might sound like, as you said, a little irreverent, but I, I wonder if you would prefer if we said something like living among other lost people like myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it's, you know, if I, if I, Think about your climbing to the mountaintop story. You know, wouldn't it be ironic if if the top was fifty yards past where they stopped? Mm-hmm. And and if you knew that, you could say to those people, you could say, "Look, I don't know everything. I don't know all the trails around here, but I do know that if you turn around now and go fifty yards further, you'll get to the top because yeah. I've been there." Yeah, I think part of the problems with the word lost if you use it in kind of a non-theological sense is it really means you're not living among people so you're saying you're lost and i'm not lost Mm -hmm. so there's there's no way we can live together uh i'm in a different category than you and again that's true on a unseen spiritual level that we don't know most of the time uh, but it's not true in the sense that yeah I don't know anything it, it seems like that's what you're picking apart is what does it mean to be lost and what does it mean to live with other people who have doubts and don't know things yeah as as my little tiny brain was thinking about this it occurred to me and, and uh, you just sort of reinforced it was the thought that, you know, when when I see my neighbor as lost, there's some, there's some 
unspoken implications to this. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not a, I'm not a sociologist, so bear with me. But the the idea when, when I when I ascribe to my neighbor lostness, unwittingly, I am probably caving into a belief, not a knowledge, but a belief that they're unable to. I'm unable to lean on them. They're, they have inadequate resource to lead on. Mm. Uh, I was having a conversation this morning with a friend who went through a 10-year just difficult trial. Um, and uh, it was a painful family experience. It was not a, not a matter of sin. It was just a matter of you know some physical issues that happened in the family and sicknesses that brought great pain and trial to this family for 10-plus years. And it had a powerful impact on them. And, and the person said, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I could have done this without faith. And, uh, and I thought, well, <laughs> again, not to be irreverent, <laughs> but I thought, I, I've seen a lot of people who don't have faith who have endured really well. They've endured in a way that, that's admirable. It, it, it would draw me to them for help. I think, how did you do that? Hmm. How did you, how did you manage that? Even even if they were not yet, you know, if they were not yet followers of Jesus, there's still something about their life that uh, they were able to live well in a really hard time. Mm-hmm. So so obviously, I mean, that person's faith did help them. Uh, but mm-hmm. what what was it about kind of the way they said it that made you sense that they were making some kind of exclusive claim about uh, I'm living by faith and these other people aren't? Well, well, for the sake of clarity, um, in case that person were to hear, hear this podcast, which they probably will, uh, I was actually not assuming that they made that statement. Mm. What I was listening to is what I've heard this in other places. And when I've heard it, I've heard an exclusivity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we can do that, but they can't. Mm-hmm. We can bear up on hard trials. Unless you are a follower of Jesus, you can't. Mm. And if that's true in your mind, that so back to our topic of living and leaning on my neighbors, it actually puts a barrier between me and that person and me wanting to lean on it because I, I have this I have this unsubstantiated belief <laughs> that they can't they can't bear hard burdens. Mm. So it, it sounds like there's an assumption of a binary state of whether you're lost or you're found. And um, people who are quote unquote lost, maybe they're, they're just you know those of us who see ourselves as saved or found um, think that those who aren't are in a, in a different category and um, maybe they can't be leaned on or maybe they don't have the faith in times of difficulty or something. So they're for, for whatever reasons, is there a pride of feeling like we're, we're not lost? Um, is that a function of what we think about? And I know in a lot of certainly the evangelical tradition I grew up with is, you know, this is before you were saved. This is how you got saved. This is after you're saved. There's a very binary state. Um, and maybe that, can contribute to this kind of view of us versus them or us and them 
mm-hmm. um, that you're describing. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with what you said, Daniel, but I think what I was saying was is that I'm not sure we would be cognizant of it. I, I, I think it's the issue that I hold this belief that this is the privilege of those who have faith, the, the ability to bear a burden. And I, and I believe that it's possible that that belief could, without your knowledge, actually create a barrier between you and your neighbor. You, you may not even be conscious of it. You're just, in fact, I would argue you're probably not conscious of it. You're probably fairly conscious of a belief, and it's, this kind of gets back to Dallas Willard conversations about you know the distinction between belief and knowledge. You know, just because I believe something doesn't make it true, uh, but belief is <clears throat> belief has its validity when it's based on knowledge, and it leads to action that is that is that is aligned with that belief, that uh, that knowledge. Your know, actions that come out of our beliefs have to be in the foundation of, of knowledge, not in the in the foundation of belief. Well, I think the tricky thing about this is, I mean, there there is a binary. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you are redeemed or not redeemed. You mm-hmm. are, you know, um, so there is something binary. Yeah. Uh, but... I, I think maybe we underestimate the amount of common things we share in common. Mm-hmm. So, and you're, you're pointing out one of those things. Yeah. So, so it's not like, you know, uh, people who know Christ and are known by Him, you know, uh, are happy all the time and conquer everything. And those who don't, you know, they're living in a post apocalyptic Mad Max movie. We rightly uh, affirm and know that that there is a distinction, but um, we undervalue where we're the same. Um, yeah, make- and, and, yeah, I think it's my point. Was is I'm, I'm not trying to write a theology on who is or who isn't part of the kingdom, but it's that distinction that we may unwittingly make that keeps us from actually entering into a person's life and allowing them to, to, to help me in, mm-hmm. in, in my own pain and labor and, and trial of life. I mean, I might be willing to let my neighbor help, you know, fix my lamppost. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and maybe I could let them help me fix my car, you know, and, and lots of things like that. I mean, that's pretty easy to do. But to invite someone into the dark part of your life, mm. the pain part of your life, Mm-hmm. And, and if I make the decision, I'm only going to do that with people who are followers of Jesus, I, I think we'll miss a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we probably don't allow the door for the kingdom to to be expressed through our suffering. Right, right. And through our right. dependence on them as a neighbor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and when you I, look I, at the word neighbor in the Bible, you know, it, it the way the word neighbor used, it doesn't seem to be restricted to, you know, who's where on Sunday. Mm. Well, I, I, you don't even have to go that far. Uh, it doesn't seem restricted to, uh, you know, those who truly follow Christ and those who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's so many passages that we kind of assume, and, and sometimes it's the heading in, in the Bible, that it, and it says, uh, 
you know, now, now here's the rule of Christian life among believers. And you read all these nice things about humility and uh, bearing one another burdens. And, um, but if you step back for a minute and ignore those headings, uh, a whole lot of those passages uh, do not limit themselves to, uh, you know, this is behavior among believers. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think we make some assumptions about what behaviors are appropriate. Um, kind of w one thing that you make me think about here is, you know, uh, what our very smart friend Don Bartell taught us about centered sets versus bounded sets. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that idea is a you know a math geek kind of idea, and and I'm not that kind of person. But Don's a good teacher. So what I understand is that one of the basic parts of math is set theory. So, and and sets define what's in and what's out. Uh, and uh, a bounded set is is the idea of something like you know whole numbers greater than four less than seven. So greater than four, less than seven, whole numbers. So that gives you five and six. So five and six are in, uh, everything else is out. And so the important thing about a bounded set is defining the boundaries. So the, the edges are what's important. But another mathematical way to define a set is um, based on points and lines and directions. So that's a centered set. So if you think of a, you know, X, Y axis, um, you know, just a normal piece of graph paper, and you put a dot on the on it somewhere in there, you can define the other dots by their distance and uh, orientation towards that center dot. So instead of being defined by the edges, you're defined by, are you moving towards? Or are you moving away? How close are you to this dot? Yeah. So that's just another way to categorize numbers. And it turns out you can categorize people that way. Um, and, and I think for years we uh, have, have lived with the idea. I know I have that, you know, I need to decide, the first thing I need to decide about somebody is, are they in or are they out? And, and then I know how to respond to them. And, and if I shift my perspective to, I wonder if they're moving towards Jesus or away, and I wonder how much distance they have to travel, and I wonder how fast they're going. If I use that as my guide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat people differently if I only think of them as being in and out, I'm just going to focus on how do I move them in. Um, mm -hmm. But if I think about what direction somebody's going, you know, I, I'm going to think about is there some way for me to encourage that movement or tweak the angle, you know, change the velocity. <clears throat> and, and those are different conversations. That's a different way. So I'm going to lean on that person. Um, and see what happens. Uh, I, I, I found that idea as I think about living among. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about I'm living among a bunch of dots that are moving, and uh, are they moving towards Jesus or not? That's that's really important.
Yeah, it's interesting <clears throat> that uh, the idea that we need to lean on someone is in its own way an acknowledgement that I need spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the question that I've sort of been poking at here is, is my spiritual formation limited to card-carrying folks, mm-hmm. <laughs> that identifiable card-carrying folks? Or... Is it possible that God puts his spirit in someone and lets that spirit kind of want to break out in this person's life? And I happen to be in this space that they are. And that breaking out of the spirit is something that can help me be transformed into Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. And well, if me- I can see my neighbor that way, if my view of my neighbor is that, yeah, eat. At what to whatever degree God chooses in His sovereignty, and all you got to do is read the Old Testament, <laughs> is to see who God uses to bring about spiritual formation of His people, hmm. and and so it's a very humbling thing, in my mind, and should drive us to humility with when we're with our neighbor, rather than judgment. Well, I, I think you're making an assumption that you probably should clarify for us is, you know, what you can does help spi- me here. <laughs> well, well, I, I think it's just something you assume that that allows you to say these things. So f- formation, spiritual formation, I think a lot of people think that means knowing more about what the Bible says. If I know more about what the Bible says, then I'll be better spiritually formed. So if that's true, then the person who doesn't know the Bible can't really help me. Amen. Uh, so, but if spiritual formation means something else, so I think it means something else. Uh, the way you're talking, so so maybe you can explain that. And can I can I elaborate on that assumption? Uh-huh. The question I think that's a great point is, you know, you mentioned of can we have somebody who's essentially lost or not a believer can they can god use them to help spiritual formation for someone who is i I think part of the problem is you know i I went through life thinking i'm pretty good at discerning who's a christian who's not a christian and i realized that the older i get the less able i am to do that i think probably the less i realize the less important it is for us to actually do that you know so if we start with the assumption that we can know if somebody is lost or not i think that that's something that we have to question and if we make that assumption based on their quote unquote spiritual formation or their understanding of the Bible, it's kind of like, okay, so, you know, are they lost? Are they not lost? Can they help me? Can they, I, I don't know if they're lost or not. That's between them and God. You know, I can get an idea of how much they know about the Bible. I can see what direction they're heading, but for me to make a broad judgment of what category of person, whether this person I can lean on or not based on those criteria, I don't know. That's, that's beyond our ability to perceive. So if we say that anybody is around us, not just saying we, we trust everybody the same, obviously there's wisdom involved there, but even people who haven't been on the journey as long as us, or maybe are heading the wrong direction, you know, God can use in our lives and for us to be humble enough to think that, hey, anybody, no matter, no matter where they are, could be used by God instead of thinking, well, only these people can really teach me and disciple me because mm-hmm. I don't really know who these people are. And, um, you know, if these are my neighbors, then I should be open to God working through them. Yeah. 
I, 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 and I think, you know, I can think of an example from this morning. Uh, so there's somebody I work with and, uh, and I'm helping her teach a class and, um, and, you know, we've had some talks about God and faith, but I don't, I don't really know where she is. Um, and she's asked me to, to help her teach the class. Uh, and, and at a certain point, we talked about, you know, being nervous. And, and I said, yeah, I slept terrible last night. And, you know, I woke up dreaming about recording Zoom calls. And, you know, my, uh, I, I'm nervous. And uh, my back's all tense. And she said, oh, that's so encouraging. And because uh, that's the way I feel, too. And so I leaned on her. I, you know, I kind of admitted my weaknesses to her. And and she was encouraged by that. And then she leaned, you know, back in my direction. And so I, I at least for me, I'm not quick to admit I'm weak. I'm my my typical response is I can fix that for you. <laughs> I know the answers to whatever you got. I, I know the answers. Uh, but in, in that moment, you know, um, you know, I, I, I was able to lean on her a little bit and she was able to to lean on me. Maybe I could try to add a little balance to my extremes, ex thoughts in life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and you just reminded me of something that I would want to say is that uh, um, <clears throat> uh, as you said, you're not, you're not, we might not be quick to admit our weaknesses. And uh, I remember a number of years ago uh, sitting with Bill Thrall and him doing some teaching. Some of you probably, y'all don't know who he is, but anyway, he's just a friend. And, uh, and he made, and he made the comment that we need to choose uh, vulnerability in our life and to choose vulnerability in, in his, by his definition meant to explore the idea of allowing someone else's strengths to protect my weaknesses. And, uh, and, the, and if, our, if we are uh, sort of unwilling to do that, then, then we sort of we remain <laughs> 50 yards from the top of the mountain and wondering why we didn't get to the top, you know. But the, um, the, uh, the greater the willingness of my willingness to trust others with my strength, my weaknesses for the benefit, of, uh, let me start over again, trust other people's strengths to protect me and my weaknesses, they're also... A, but the other, the other end of that is, yeah, but you do need to pay attention who you trust and how you trust them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so there's, so the, this comment that I started off with is, it isn't that I'd say that, you know, every, quote, neighbor I have is someone that I would anticipate. Because as Daniel was saying, there, you know, there are some demonstrations of this, the fruit of the Spirit you know, they become apparent to us. And so, you know, more the greater the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life, the greater the likelihood that I can lean on that person with some hope. But then there's this other sort of the side of it that says, yeah, but I actually can't sort out all that God is doing. And so I kind of have to have some wisdom to walk in that with my neighbor. I, I may gently walk in, 
and give a little bit and see what happens. And then, and then I say, oh, you know, that worked out good. I think I'll give a little bit more and a mm-hmm. little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it, and what I find to be true in my life, and I'll give you, I'll give it, tell you a story in just a second. I find that as I give more away of who I am, being vulnerable to my neighbor, the more likely they are at some point to circle back mm-hmm. and offer that. So I'll, I'll tell you, if, can I tell you a story? Sure, please. Okay, this, is just, this just happened. Well, it didn't just happen. This happened over seven years and culminated last week. So it's a seven-year story. So there's a, I, I met a person a number of years ago, seven years ago, and uh, they came in our art gallery that I owned, and they needed some help. And they were in a sort of in a desperate situation in the art world. And uh, there was some money involved where they were ex- about to lose a bunch of money. And 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 I realized I, I could help. You know, I could help. What it might mean is that some of the other artists who worked for me in my gallery might not be happy with me. But I said, well, I have a good relationship with them. I think they'll trust me because they will see what I'm doing here is for this person's good. And so... I made the decision. Then I went and, <laughs> and then I went and told everybody, <laughs> and uh, and it worked out okay, you know. And uh, and so over the next seven years, uh, this person became a really important part of my life in terms of running the business, and also just as a friend, and, and as a fellow artist, and a person, a fellow human who wanted the world to be better. And and her her story is filled with examples in her life of helping others. And then uh, recently she she uh, called and asked if she could meet with me. She wanted to talk about the nature of leadership. And she realized that she had some leadership gaps. And, uh, and she was willing to talk to me about them. And it was the first time that she had been willing to explore these ideas. And uh, so we had a great hour and a half long engagement in these ideas. And... Um, I was able to point her to some resources with a clear acknowledgement that these are Jesus resources. This is how Jesus leads. And this is how I learned how to do what I do. And, uh, and she has uh, excitedly stepped into the path now of trying to see how Jesus leads on these things. And I thought, well, but along the story was uh, there were many times where I just needed her help in the leadership and she became my equal partner, even though she wasn't my official business partner. She became vital to the running of our organization. And I leaned on her hundreds and hundreds of times for mm. people's lives, for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was a good example for me of living with my neighbor. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't distinguish if my neighbor this or that. She's my neighbor. <laughs> and we, we could walk in this journey together of life. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you didn't do is you didn't usurp the position of giving. So the the it sounds to me like the relationship started with her in need, mm-hmm. and yeah. I imagine it could have been easy to keep it that way. Oh yeah. Uh, but instead, at some point, you took the risk of of leaning on on her. So I wonder, I wonder if that's a, a, a principle. So one thing that we can do is we could try leaning on somebody a little bit 
and see how it goes and uh you know keep your spiritual eyes open and you know don't don't start by you know giving them the keys to the farm but you know maybe it is starting with mm -hmm. asking them to help with the lamppost but it seems like another way to launch this life of of mutual leaning on each other is when somebody leans on you you lean back on them mm -hmm. um and that's really what happened with this colleague of mine. Um, she has asked me for lots of help, and it would be easy for me. And at times, I've definitely just enjoyed being the guy with the answers. Uh, but but today, I took a little step forward into, you know, entrusting her with, with something I needed help on, which was just, you know, to be able to tell to somebody I respect, yeah, I, I was really nervous today. Yeah, uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, you know, is one of my just most beloved verses. You know, for we are his workmanship created for good works. And the word workmanship there is the word, as you know, poema. We are his poem. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I think about living among my neighbor, uh, just, this will get me. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, it, it is so important to develop a barrier against my judgments hmm. and against my my insensitivities and my fierce spirit. Well, it, it made me think about this: my neighbor as a poem, hmm. and uh, I, I want I want to develop in my heart this. Uh, the sense of seeing the poem in a person's life. And I could, of course, you could not help but be reminded of the beauty of poetry as you watch this young woman, this young port laureate, give her mm -hmm. poem. Regardless of whatever conviction you have about anything she had to say, the beauty of the poem, the beauty of her telling, and the beauty of her gestures, and her whole body was involved in it. And I thought, yeah, that can I see that in my neighbor? Can I see that beauty? Because if I can it is probably going to free me to even lean on them even more. Mm. So the problem of leaning is not theirs. It's mine. It's my mm. problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I have to own that problem. You know, mm -hmm. I don't need to go do something for them. I got to do something to me. Mm -hmm. What does it make? What makes me a good neighbor? What makes me a poem to my neighbor? Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think Ephesians two ten is maybe another one of those verses that we can forget that it means everybody. For, yeah. You know, for we are His workmanship, mm -hmm. so that doesn't mean we who acknowledge that, mm -hmm. but everybody is God's poem. Uh, now, some of those poems are misdirected and running away from that center point of of Christ, uh, but. But it's still there. They they are still there. Um, they, that person is still made for good works. The Imago um, Deo is there. There's mm -hmm, some mm -hmm, there's some mm -hmm. evidence of it in their life. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And if and if you can connect to that little piece of the spirit of God in their life. Uh, this is a theology statement, so forgive me, everybody who overhears this. You can ignore it. But I think it's one of those places where God can help transform your life. 
Mm. So, so on, what are you saying? What do you mean? The, the image of God in you, mm-hmm. the we of Ephesians 2.10, <laughs> the we of Ephesians 2.10, the poem has in it some evidence of the image of God. Mm-hmm. And if I can see that, if I can look for it and hunt for it, pursue it, try to nurture it, bring it out, you know, open it up, expose it. Mm-hmm. I can, I can, I can enjoy it. I, I, I reap it. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. already tells me it's for me. He says we are for each other, which is the, the crazy thing about trying to create, um, pardon me, I'm going to scoot off slightly off target, but <laughs> it's the crazy concept of trying to commute community, yeah. create community without, without engaging with the spirit of God in one another. Using the term or the language of neighbor, you know, doesn't put us in the question about whether or not somebody has something to offer for us that's unique to a particular way of a worldview. But we can find a lot of help from lots of people. And God can intend that for our good, as Joseph says in Genesis 2, you know, that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So even those who did bad works, God intended it for our good and found a way to make it for his good. So the bad works or good works questions are interesting. But when I think about living by my neighbor, even my neighbors, and I'll give you a story. I'll tell you another story right quick. Maybe we'll end on this. But when we lived in, uh, in Boston, uh, the, uh, the first home we lived at in Boston, we were going there to open up a campus ministry at Boston University. Uh, our house was on a main thoroughfare because it was the only place we could afford to live in. And it was not an ideal situation, believe me. I think there were like 47,000 cars a day went by our house. <laughs> so it was kind of busy. And the next door neighbor to us was an automobile repair shop. And uh, as I later discovered, uh, it, was the, it was the primary drug distribution center for our town. And the guy who was the uh, owner of it, I don't remember his name anymore, uh, but he was tatted from eyebrow to toe, and uh, and he was my neighbor, <laughs> and uh, and I had children who were coming out in the yard, and I had this community of people next door who were scary, you know, to me and my family, and I decided I have got to become a good neighbor to this guy. So I just started walking over there in the afternoon around four o'clock and I just made a practice. I didn't do it every day, but on a, on a fairly regular basis, I'd go over at four o'clock and I would talk to, I, I think his name was Sonny, but I, I don't remember. But anyway, so I spent time with him over the next two years asking him to explain to him all the tats on him. So he told me the story of every one of his tats. And eventually when I would come into shop, he would stop and come around and give me a big hug <laughs> and talk. Well, it turned out when we moved, we moved two years later, when we moved, our house was about five houses from his house where he lived. He lived in this like ordinary suburban neighborhood. <laughs> and when he was in the neighborhood, he was just, just an ordinary guy. He was still a drug dealer, <laughs> but he was still the kindest guy. And he, he would have died for me. Mm. He would have died for me. He had that kind of relationship with him. 
And I and I, I don't I don't know whether he ever came to faith. I, I don't I don't know that he did. Don't know that he didn't. But I know we talked about it a lot because mm. I was able to go from all this beauty on his body <laughs> to the one who is beauty. And mm. and I actually said to him one day, I said, you know, beauty actually is the name of somebody. It's actually not just an aesthetic issue. It's actually somebody's name, and that opened up a whole conversation about mm. that. And and he was genuine invited us into his family and into his home and to watch over his kids so it was it was a very positive experience for me because it gave me an insight into, into his humanity and it and it and it cautioned me against judging yeah what a different way you know uh, walking through life looking for that spark that mm -hmm. reflection of the image of God instead of walking through life trying to evaluate um you know are are you a believer or not i mean yeah. that's not an unimportant question uh but it it doesn't have to be our posture in life uh it's and it might even result in our spiritual formation mm -hmm. when and you find and affirm mm -hmm. yeah that that spark in others yeah 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 well, that's, and, and I think once you have that perspective, then I think you're a safe person to guide others. So, so you, you named your favorite verse. I'll name maybe mine, which is uh, Philippians 2.14. Well, starting at 2.14, uh, do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And our other really smart friend, Chris Mogensen, says that word means guiding light, like a star you navigate by. Yeah. And so when we adopt that humble, uh, non-judging, non-harsh attitude – uh, we we guide people. So it, it's a pretty remarkable verse. It starts with don't complain so much. And it ends with us being a light in the sky that guides others. And I think we all want to be that light. But, but what, you're, what you're talking about, Gary, is how do you get there? How do you get to the point where um, you can be that light? And the word I've been wanting to, you know, say this whole time is, you know, incarnation, you know, uh, and, and like all things, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. You know, he lived among uh, normal, everyday human beings. And because of that, we're able to look at him as the ultimate guiding light and, uh, and when we follow his ways, we get to do the same in the small way for others. Yeah. I think I think bringing it back to the L's, um, I, I think about a, an L we talked about earlier is listening. So when we mm -hmm. have conversations that mm -hmm. listen, and if we come to a relationship already deciding things and not learning from it, we can miss a lot. And yeah. it goes back to the same theme is yeah. learning from people, regardless who we might think they are mm -hmm. uh, in their faith or whether they're the lost or not, yeah. is we have a lot to learn and to gain and lean on them and to recognize that 
you know, we don't know all about them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God can use anybody in our lives. And people, mm-hmm. we wondered why they're in our lives is if we're humble enough to approach that and mm-hmm. lean on them, we may find out. Yeah. And, you know, don't dump everything on them right away. But just like any relationship, you, you, you give a little bit of trust and you let it go and see how it develops. Mm-hmm.